Justin, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, good morning. Well, actually, good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, something like that here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you it's, joining us today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. So, I uh, just want to clear up one thing. Um, so, I've been listening to your music on Spotify. Is it Dirty Streets or is it The Dirty Streets? Because oh. I've seen it both ways. So, it's Dirty Streets. It's been just Dirty Streets for like 10 years but uh somehow through a series of errors on google for the last decade it's listed a lot of places as the dirty streets i think just from people <laughs> typing it that way okay so either one's passable though so yeah well, i wasn't familiar with uh dirty streets before um like maybe a couple months ago uh we did an interview with chris tapp from cold stairs yeah love that guy he and i started chatting he's a great guy uh, he and I started chatting a little bit um, outside of the podcast about uh, about music in general. And he goes, hey, there's this band out of Memphis that I think you should talk to. I think it'd be really great. And I'm like, yeah, you know, send send the name my way and, and, and we'll see. And so he sent it to me and just started listening to the first uh, the first few tracks of White Horse. And I'm like, holy crap. OK, yeah. this is somebody <laughs> this is somebody we need to talk to. So so that was kind of a no brainer. That's awesome. I feel like uh, when most people tell me that they heard about us, it's usually in that way, word of mouth at the moment. So uh, that's kind of been the story of our band for a while. I feel like that's kind of uh, where the industry is headed. Yeah. Because um, you don't get a lot of publicity anymore. There's, you know, they used to have the avenues of, of MTV when they used to play music on MTV. And there was totally. a there was a road to get people noticed. And I think that's kind of... Uh, uh, vanished to some degree, so you have to rely on a lot more word of mouth, a lot more street presence, and a lot more you know just doing little things to get yeah. your name out there. A lot more direct interaction too through social media. People are expecting absolutely. The bands. And that's the yeah. thing is, I mean, you have you have social media as an avenue, but it's so saturated, and there's really no control over uh, who's getting through and who's not. So it really is just a matter of people telling other people or seeing you uh, somewhere live. So I think, I think the live element of it is super important right now because of that, because I've, a lot of our fan base has been grown just from playing places and people seeing us more than anything. Can you uh, fill us in a little bit on the dirty streets history? Well, uh, we've been jamming together a really long time. Uh, me and the bass player, Thomas, we originally met first uh, through playing together in another band. So I had a friend who was like, hey, uh, 
you know, we, I heard you are looking for somebody to play with. And so we were just jamming together, but it was nothing serious. And during that time, we were having a lot of parties at my house. I lived in an apartment with the other band members and he just, while we're having a conversation, we started talking about blues rock and CCR and uh, R.L. Burnside and just how we were both really into blues music. And so it kind of turned from that to all of a sudden uh, I'm showing him stuff that I recorded, just demos by myself. And then the band started from there, but it happened really slowly. Uh, we started playing live out really soon after that. So I think our first live show was really probably 2007. So it was a long time ago, but uh, it, it took a long time before we got in the studio and started making records, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You t- you mentioned CCR and uh, there's so much, like if you listen to your, your stuff, which I have quite extensively now, <laughs> like I hear a ton of like MC five, totally old humble yeah. pie stuff. Oh yeah. And it's, it's a, uh, that was, uh, those bands are definitely in, included in the gigantic amount of records that we listened to together. And when we started the band, that was part of what was different about this band than any band I'd been in. We would go to the practice space, put on records, and listen to records for two hours, and then start playing. So it was kind of like everyone would bring different records every week. And be like, oh, this is what I'm listening to. It'll be the Faces, you know, mm-hmm. or MC5. Humble Pie was one that we all discovered together because uh, someone I worked at a record store at the time, and so people would come in and tell me, hey, I know you're into this kind of stuff. You should check this record out. So I was finding out about a bunch of records and bringing them to practice, and the other guys were doing the same. So honestly, in the beginning of the band, we probably listened to records more than we did rehearsed, but. I think that was good in a way because it, it really gave the rehearsals way more of a creative spark and we we're actually having fun. See, that's awesome to me that you guys had like a, cause so many bands seem to do the, the opposite of that. They come up with all these different inspirations separate from one another and then come together and have to kind of like, like meld it into one. Whereas you guys are sitting, listening to it all together and you can, you can formulate what you're going to do as you're sitting there and being inspired by other people's music. That's, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was uh, almost experimental in a way, because like I said, I'd never done that before, but it just kind of worked out that way when we were doing it, you know, I would come over and they'd already be jamming music. So we'd end up just sitting down and, uh, you know, taking in various substances and then uh, we would, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, rehearse about an hour or two later. And by the time we were rehearsing, everybody was on fire and, you know, we were writing tons of songs. That's one thing I will say about this band is that before we even made a record, we had probably written three records worth of songs <laughs> and just never recorded them. So so do you, do you write collaboratively or do each one of you individually write? Or is there one person that's like the primary songwriter? You know, I would say I'm the primary songwriter, but... You know, when we started the band, I had just little nuggets of songs. I mean, not even, it was, it was pretty much, I told them I had songs, but it was kind of a lie. I was like, oh yeah, I got all these songs. But what I really had was about three seconds of a riff. I got a riff. And maybe, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And a chorus melody. And then I would make up something in front of them and be like, yeah, that's the song I wrote. And uh, so, you know, I, I can't take as much as I, 
I will say I'm the primary songwriter. I write pretty much all the lyrics and all the melodies. I mean, the thing about the way this band works is that the songs really are constructed in rehearsals always. And the other two guys have been super instrumental in, uh, you know, working the songs out and arranging them and being like, Hey, we should do this here. So, um, I write the core of the songs and, you know, these days I'm, I write, I bring way more complete songs to the band, but I'm still just really writing the core of the songs, you mm-hmm. know, the lyrics and the melodies and then, Anything instrumental and and uh, any kind of spice is just bringing it to them. And, and we kind of have a chemistry at this point because we've been playing together so long. So it usually just kind of works itself out. Yeah, there's definitely a, there's a swagger, too, when you listen to it. It's uh, yeah. I, I've, I've been listening to uh, your drummer. Just It sounds to me like Mitch Mitchell from Jimi Hendrix Experience. He is so busy back there. And, I you know, as a three-piece He's got to fill in some holes that, you know, no rhythm guitarist, no this or whatever, no keys, mostly. So he's he is a he's a workhorse back there. Yeah. He, you know, when he got in the band, he was only 17. Oh, boy. And uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we were we were basically looking for drummers and we had tried out three or four of them, me and the bass player, Thomas. And uh, we were just having no luck. And he said, Hey, well, I heard this guy down the street from my house and I heard him playing in the attic and the, the license plates on his car say Las Vegas. So maybe he's not in a band. Cause that's the problem with drummers. They're always in seven bands. Uh-huh. So <laughs> that's true. Uh, at least, at least in Memphis, you know, Memphis <laughs> that's is true like, everywhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Cause it's a real working town of music. So every drummer here is, you know, just employed uh, massively. So, yeah, we, we thought, he, he said, maybe he'll, he'll play with us. And I was just thinking, all right, first, he has to be into the style, which what are the chances? Right. Second, what are the chances he even wants to play in a band all the time and constantly gig? And, and then he showed up, and uh, apparently Thomas went and knocked on his door. And so one day he came to rehearsal, and immediately when he started playing, his style was like no one I'd ever heard. You know, He hadn't really been in a band so he was really loose and and uh but he had a, just this incredible uh finesse you know mm-hmm. and he was a, a teenager and i was just like okay i i had made a decision before he even showed up i'm not going to be in a band with a teenager it's too hard <laughs> i've done it before you know you can't get you can't get him in the bar but by the time he showed up and played i was like okay he's in the band you know i will figure out the rest later because <laughs> and then part of it was just us learning together you know i feel like when you mentioned something like swagger or, or some kind of groove, that was all stuff that when we started was non-existent. And mm-hmm. it kind of, it kind of just, you know, you sit there and you soak in all these other bands that have that. And then if you do that immediately sit down, that's really what you're searching for more than a style or more than a, more than any specific thing. You're not really trying to emulate a specific music, but you're kind of just trying to pick up that, groove and that swagger that other bands have definitely you know? the attitude it sound you can hear it. Yeah. you can hear the attitude yeah. through the music for sure totally yeah and that's that's kind of a memphis thing too in a way a lot of the bands around here uh are really soul and blues based and that's kind of what that music is all about so i feel like that seeps in no matter what when you live here Texas, speak to me 
So that is, uh, since you guys are based out of Memphis, which is a, a city that has this huge music history behind it, uh, how is the live scene there? Are there lots of venues, like good venues for bands to play in? Are there lots of bands playing? Is there a lot of variety or is it just all like uh, blues and, and uh, kind of rock stuff? Well, there's a ton of venues and a, and a, a lot of bands. You know, the city is pretty big. As far as population, it's like, you know, it's around 700,000 people. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of bands and places to play. The thing is, it's broken up into categories, which is like you got the downtown blues guys, you know, and uh, that's always going forever and will always forever be going. And there's some really great players down there. And those guys fight really hard for those uh, residencies, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you got a massive amount of the scene here is like cover bands because uh people want to hear covers and there is tons of live music here but most places you go it's going to be covers and then and then you have all the original bands you know and those broken up into their separate scenes but uh as far as original bands go there are a ton and it goes in waves uh, uh you know where it'll be there'll be a huge vibrant scene for five years and then it'll kind of slow down as it you know as it always does most places, I'm guessing. But Memphis has had a lot of bands, and we have a lot of incredible musicians here. And that's that's the thing about playing here, is that you, you're always playing in front of really good musicians. So uh, people are a little more uh, weary and uh, a little more critical. Mm-hmm. But I think it's in a good way, and it kind of sharpens you a little bit. Do you think that it makes it better for a band to, to be, I guess more harshly judged by your peers. I think it makes you better as a band. I think the hardest thing about the Memphis scene is that uh, there are very few bands that tour a lot because it's a working class scene. Lots of people have jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it was hard to find examples of people to tell us how to do things, you know, uh, other than making music. Uh, so we kind of had to figure out the, the music business side on our own. But as far as being musicians, I remember when we were going out of town, 
we were like, oh man, it's really easy to please crowds in all these places because we were so used to just playing uh, <laughs> to, you know, Memphis people. Sure. And I, I love it because if you can, if you can really play a great show here, then, uh, then you've really done something. Cause I mean, people are, uh, they will get rowdy, but you gotta, you gotta wind them up, you know? So I think it was a good lesson to learn. Okay. And Memphis is great for touring because of where it's located. You can hit the East coast really easily, you know, go four hours to St. Louis, then go up to Chicago, or you can go West to Texas and do Dallas and Austin and little rock. So you're, you're really geographically located in a way to easily tour. So that's great too. So one of the things that we talked about with uh, Chris was how difficult it is as an independent artist that you are responsible for not only the creation of the music, but now you're responsible for marketing your music as well and kind of having to juggle all those things, which makes it difficult if if you do have to have a job in addition to that to supplement your income. Are you guys full-time musicians, full-time band is this the this is what you have going on? We're uh, in a strange position right now where we're sort of on the cusp of doing that. This is the first year where we've really been able to take a lot of time off and tour and uh, make enough money to supplement our income. So uh, we're I'm, I'm thinking that we're it seems like we're in sort of a transitional period, and you know we're going full time as of 2020. So. Uh, right now, we all hold part-time jobs in town. Uh, for a while, we all worked at restaurants, so that's been sort of the the thing that everyone did for a long time. But sure. uh, you know, then we started touring too much, really, to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you said twenty twenty. Uh, you said twenty twenty. You have at least one record coming out, right? In twenty twenty. Yeah, we got. We, we'll have two records coming out. Okay. Um, one is. Uh, on a live natural sound and uh that's the record we've done at, at this point two records on with them and uh they're a great label out of california and it's a it's a live record we recorded here at diddy tv which is a, a live broadcast thing in memphis and the session we did went so well we were like hey let's go ahead and put this out so that should be coming out in the spring okay is that uh, that all new material, or is it kind of like a concert There's, setting? Uh, it's sort of almost like a best of because we play a bunch of songs from our catalog uh, over the the period we've been a band, and then there's two new cover songs on it that we had never recorded or played before. Um, one, uh, both by a guy named Joe South. Uh, one of them is a song called "Walk a Mile in My Shoes," which was his only really big hit. Um, and the other one was a song that Otis Redding covered called Tell the Truth. And it's a, it's a great song. He's a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Joe South, but he's pretty amazing, prolific guy. He wrote Hush, the song that was covered by Deep Purple. Deep Purple, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he, uh, wrote, and he played uh, on Chain of Fools, that guitar part at the beginning. That's him playing. Oh. Okay. Well, By Aretha Franklin. I haven't heard of him before, but now I will. He's another one of those musicians that everybody's heard, but nobody's heard of him. Exactly. And I, it's pretty recent for me. You know, I'd heard that Tell the Truth song. I have the album by Otis Redding. And uh, I thought that was his song until I realized that 
it was also written by Joe South. So I started diving in and when you dive in on that guy's history, it gets pretty deep. There's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. And then the, the second album you have coming out, is that studio based? Yeah. The second album we have, uh, we're, we're kind of wrapping up right now and tying up the loose ends, but, uh, we did it with Matt Rossfang from Sam Phillips recording in Memphis. And, uh, He's a great producer. We never really worked with a producer before, so um, this is our first time doing that. But it ended up being an incredible experience, and pretty proud of the record, and uh, anxious to get it out. I don't know what the details are going to be on it yet, since it's still uh, being finished. But that I'm guessing it will probably come out, you know, sometime in the summer, hopefully, of 2020. So I guess that's a good question. So you said that was like kind of the first time you've worked with a producer. And uh, like in doing some research, I noticed that uh, Blades of Grass and White Horse were both recorded at uh, Ardent Studios and Distractions was done at uh, the famous Sam Phillips Studios. Uh, so how does that, how does where you're recording and who is doing your recording, I guess, uh, really affect the way that the record comes out for you? You know, I've uh, always been into the production aspect of recording, so in a way and so is thomas our bass player he's been really into it and so way we've always kind of shaped how things are arranged and you know we're going to put acoustic here and uh and how certain things sound tonally and we've always really focused on drum sounds and and everything but uh i would say that the engineer is really important because obviously my my ability to make things sound the way I want to is very limited because I really don't know much about recording other than I like the drums to sound like this and I like the guitar to sound like this. So <laughs> when we did the first, uh, we actually did a couple of records independently before Blades of Grass even, and those were recorded in sort of a more DIY setting, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that was good because it kind of led us up to uh, you know, having certain expectations and, and understanding how recording works. And then once we got in at Ardent, um, we did Blades of Grass with a guy named Adam Hill, who's a really good engineer over there. Um, he's worked on a few Jack White records. Uh, and he, he was really good at, at sonically immediately sort of knowing what, uh, what we were looking for. And he also taught me a lot about how to communicate what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? So that I think the biggest thing is if you can communicate with the person who's recording you as an engineer, then uh, it makes the process really easy. And Matt Qualls, who did White Horse and Distractions, he really had a lot to do with the sound of those records. You know, there was a really big concept of like, this is what we're trying to get the record to sound like, you know, like with white horse, we were like, let's get the first two ZZ top albums. As the drum sound. <laughs> and, uh, we kind of wanted to round everything off and make it sound really dead and warm. And the main sonic influence, as far as that goes was sticky fingers mm. by the Rolling stones. stones you know? so yeah. 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 Sort of a Glenn John thing. And we recorded a lot of things, <laughs> The, you know, in a Glenn John's way. So uh, that's always been sort of every record we've done. We've kind of been like, oh, let's kind of do it like this. Whereas working with a producer, 
I, I gave, I put it all in his hands. You know? mm-hmm. I just said, we want to make a great record. Uh, I love the way that Matt Ross things records sound, uh, his other records that he's done. Um, he's worked with Margo Price and we did a song with Al Green last year. And, uh, and that stuff sounds amazing. You know, all, all, he's done a lot of records and they all sound really good. So I wasn't too worried about that. I really just said, look, I'll go in the studio. And you tell me what to do, which is the first time I think we've done that. But it turned out splendidly because when you can trust the person you're talking to about that, then it makes it easy. Mm-hmm. The vocals on White Horse were almost distorted. It sounds like it was going through it like a like a distorted mic. Like to some, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> every it, it it's hard to hear, but really everything on the record is sort of distorted. Yeah. The drums included have like a bunch of distortion. And that's just a result of, uh, you know, we ran everything several times. First, we ran it, you know, the compression really hot. And uh, then we ran everything down to a Tascam 8-track uh, reel-to-reel player. And we ran it really hot to the tape. Mm. And it was on u- really used tape. Oh. It was really <laughs> old. And uh, all of these things were an experiment. You know, it was like, well, let's see how we can get it before we hate it, you know. And uh, <laughs> and and at every turn, we would listen to both, you know, the undistorted version and the little more distorted version. And for that record, it just it sounded so perfect, uh, you know, hitting everything really hot and kind of making it sound. It added like a liveliness to it, and so that's kind of how the record turned out that way, you know. And it's and it's very stylized. It's very over the top, in a way, but. Uh, it worked for the record and that's kind of how I always think of everything. You know, it doesn't work for the song. doesn't work for the record. So, uh, there's a question that I've asked pretty much every band that we've been able to interview so far. Um, and it, it's especially worked because a lot of the bands that we've talked to have been around from kind of the, the early two thousands to now, obviously. And that's been the, the rise of first of all, digital music and then streaming music. Um, and the question that I always ask is with those changes to the music industry, with the, the huge changes that have, have shaped the way that bands and artists get paid, do you think it's still possible to make a, a living uh, as a, a career musician? And does streaming actually make any money for, for bands anymore? You know, uh, I, I, this year has shown me that it is very possible to make a living as a as a musician there were times when i doubted it but uh you know you you kind of the way the music industry is you know it's like you you get over a mountain and then there's another one right behind it (laughs) so uh but this year i've been able to come over a few mountains and go okay like that that is possible and the main thing is you know when you're talking about the streaming make any money you know in the same way that doesn't do mechanical royalties make you any money from selling records you know, it's kind of like streaming makes you money in the way that you, if you get a lot of streams and you can show that you have a fan base, you are going to uh, be able to have a great live career, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where you're going to make a lot of your money and you're going to be able to sell a lot of merchandise. And if you have the rights to that merchandise, you'll be able to, uh, to make a living, you mm-hmm. know? So uh, I, I think that you can definitely make it uh, in a career in this day and age, especially I know a lot of people that do. And what it's really about from what they've told me is just navigating 
the way that you make money and uh, and and make a career and make a living at this and not sticking to old uh, you know adages that have been beaten into your head over the decades because if there's anything that I've learned in the last uh, 10 or 12 years of doing this, it's that nothing is the same as it was uh, in the 90s when I was a kid and <laughs> I was playing in bands and, mm-hmm. and bands were sending off press packs and uh, <laughs> getting record deals, you know, and getting in magazines. It's, it's like magazines barely exist anymore, you know. So <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely been a learning experience, but I, I think adaptation is the name of the game, you know. Yeah, you could have never, never seen this coming. I mean, when I was playing in bands in the '80s, growing up as a teenager, like the dream was always, you know, first get a garage band, then you guys jam, then someone's going to hear you, then you're going to get a record deal, then I'm going to tour the world and make make boatloads of money because you know <laughs> that's how it was going to happen. And it was just, there's no way, there's no, there's hardly any record deals anymore. Unless you're like a pop star or whatever, it's not an actual record deal with any sort of substantial backing behind it. But it's the indie labels that are coming and and saying, "I'll pick somebody up or here and let's tour, let's let's do a couple live gigs here and see where you're at." I just it, the whole thing is completely different. For for years, for like the last fifteen years, there's always been like if if there was an award show on, the rock band that was uh, representing rock was. Foo Fighters, usually. I have nothing against Foo Fighters, but I'm like, what, what about everybody else? Where's everybody else? Where is the music? And it's good to hear that it's still out there. You just have to dig deeper than you ever did before to find it. And that's, I just love band listening to bands like you guys, Cold Stairs, and 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 that authentic, like we're making rock and roll music the old-fashioned way. Drums, bass, guitar. That's what I want to hear. I think it's beautiful because the the people you run into these days that are playing live band music and making it uh, in, in on in recording studios and playing it in music venues, uh, it, it's, there's a lot of authenticity that you run into when you're touring now because since there's not as much easy money just falling out of the sky, I think it called a lot of the guys who were just trying to be cool and get lots of girls out of the scene it seems you know when i started <laughs> playing music there were a lot more of those guys around and it seemed and and uh it just seems like the the one thing i'll say about now is that uh i i run into a lot more great genuine musicians trying to make good music and uh for the sake of making good music and i think that's a the beautiful thing about it you know as much of a as much as uh, being in a rock band is a struggle uh, for, for a lot of bands at the moment, uh, I, I think in some other ways, it, it's way better. you know. And, you, and you'll see so many great bands in one night, and you'll see a lot of people come out to shows, and uh, I think that's surprising to a lot of people. I know it surprised me when we started touring, and you know, you'll see so many people at live shows, but then when you read on online you know they're they're like uh live music is dead and people aren't going to see rock music anymore but uh, maybe it's just gone underground and people just don't know about it you know <laughs> that makes sense so uh to wrap it up a little bit here what uh what are your matthew do you want to ask this question oh, yeah. this is a little bit more in your wheelhouse yeah this is a it's an exercise that i i like to to do with friends and uh and 
people that we interview now. So dropping you off on a deserted island tomorrow. Justin, you can only take five records with you. What are you taking? Oh, that's uh, that's the easiest question I've ever been asked. I'm just kidding. <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, so there are a few easy answers for me because I'm such a there's a there's only a few bands that I'm I'm a massive fanboy of. You know, I'm a huge record collector, but there's the records that you listen to over and over again and you don't really seem to get sick of. Uh huh. So I would start with those. So it would probably be something by the stones and i'd probably say either let it bleed or sticky fingers because both of those records are masterpieces are just, uh, on constant yeah they're masterpieces. <laughs> they're constant rotation and they're uh some of those any mood sort of records for me I, it doesn't matter if i'm pissed or i'm having a great day or <laughs> i'm sad you know and uh then probably something by hendrick because uh in the same way i feel like i can listen to Hendrix for uh, long periods of time, so probably Axis Bold as Love. That's, I think would be my that's the one. My Hendrix piece. That's to me. <laughs> that's like the the most well rounded uh, record. I feel like that's when he was really at the the peak of yep. uh, his realization as an artist. You know, agreed. And then uh, I would probably do something soul related. Uh, probably. Man, that that would be a, the hardest one for me is to pick soul records, but you know, I think I would probably take uh, an Otis Redding record. Maybe tell the truth. I really like that record. So, um, or Pain in My Heart. That's a great Otis Redding record, and uh, that would be a good one to throw on on the island. You know, when you're real lonely. So <laughs> you got to have that record too. You know, you can't just have the feel good ones. Exactly. <laughs> And let's see, I got two more. Yeah, two more, yeah. Uh, man, uh, this one might come out of the gate in a, you know unexpected way, but I think the, the Grand Funk Red album, uh, that is just such a massive heavy hitter for me. And it's, it's not like any of the other records I really like, and it's uh, sort of all over the place and, and uh, straight ahead at the same time. So I think that would be number four. And uh, and then number five, I would have to get some jazz, mm-hmm. something like uh, some. I'll probably th- this is going to go deep, but there's a record by Grover Washington called Mister Magic. Uh, great jazz record from the '70s, uh-huh. something along those lines. You know, it's sort of in that uh, vein, like Herbie Hancock and that sort of uh, great stuff. That era of jazz, yeah, fusion. So. That, I think that could really round it out, you know, after having a heavy, having the heavy Grand Funk Red Album <laughs> rounded out with some jazz. <laughs> well, that's just laying on the beach. Uh, if you're on a deserted island, you're just hanging out. Just exactly. Listen to yeah. some jazz. I, I'm really taking the island into account here. I'm trying to think <laughs> what, what's the good soundtrack for uh, every different type of day I'm going to have at the island by myself. See, that's what makes the so, exercise uh, so effective. So you have to really dig yeah. deep and be like, what would I listen to all the time? <laughs> exactly. And hopefully I could have some books too, because I think uh, that those would also come in handy. Yeah. We're not, uh, we're not limited in the media, just, just five. So if you want to bring some books, you go <laughs> <Okay>. right ahead. 
great. <laughs> so, uh, Justin, if we, uh, if people out there listening to our podcast want to get a hold of you via social media, where would they head? What uh, do you have your addresses and all that? Yeah, uh, if you go to uh, DirtyStreetsMusic.com, that'll guide you to every one of our social media accounts and all of our music videos and tour dates and everything. Okay. Probably the easiest way. And if you just Google Dirty Streets, we're the first thing that comes up. So you can easily click ahead to our socials and our website there as well. So, um, and then you know, uh, sadly on uh, social media accounts. All we could get was the dirty streets, so we are <laughs> at the dirty streets on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. So awesome! And for Memphis-based listeners, or anywhere else you're playing, do you have any upcoming live gigs that that you'd like to promote right now? <laughs> yeah, we're playing uh, at B Side here in Memphis, uh, which is a cool bar on December 27th. And uh, we got a couple more dates that I just announced in February in Arkansas, which is real close by, you know, in uh, Hot Springs and Little Rock. And then we're about to announce a a big tour, uh, probably out west, uh, coming here in the next couple weeks. So if you uh, follow us on our website, you'll be able to see all the dates if they're updated. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Justin. Uh, we are going to... Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Put this all together and get this out there for, for you. And uh, Yeah, this has been uh, great. We love talking to, to artists, especially ones who uh, actually like to talk. <laughs> yeah, man. And I, I look, I'm a fan of the podcast. Like I said, I checked out like a couple of episodes. So uh, you got me hooked. I, it's a real musician musicians podcast like it's a it, I'm, I consider myself sort of a music nerd you know <laughs> and uh, you guys uh, really do it for me on the podcast you go deep I like that I like uh, being able to find out all kinds of stuff because I already read a lot about bands so anything else that I can find out you know, I'm a sponge <laughs> awesome thank you so much for <laughs> yeah that. we appreciate that a ton and we will uh, yeah, man. we'll uh, post this up um, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the future. Hopefully, we can uh, get you back on after the album is released. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. I'd love to. If uh, if any of your tour dates end up nearby, maybe we'll be able to uh, swing by and see you too. Yeah, man, I'll get in touch if they do. Sounds good. Uh, you have a great day, Justin. Thanks again. Yeah, take care. All right, man. All right. Y'all take it easy. All right. Bye. Bye. That was Justin Soland from Dirty Streets, a band based out of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, if you get a minute, it, well, not if you get a minute, your homework yeah. is to go listen to them and buy some of their stuff. Yeah, go to their site, buy their stuff. Uh, Check them out on social media. Their newest current album is Distractions from 2018. Really great album. Uh, White Horse from 2015, also a fantastic album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very, um, if you're into rock, if you're into, you know, Zeppelin uh any old classic rock you will like these guys like uh, it's a some nice mix of like soul r&b yeah. rock and blues and it's uh 
I'm a, I'm intrigued to see them live. I'd like to see yeah. the band live because they sound really good studio wise. I can only imagine what they sound like live. Um, but uh, you go listen to it and uh, come back and listen and uh, listen listen to Audio Judo. Um, all of our episodes get caught up on yeah, those, please. And also, if you have a, a top five deserted island records list of your own, since since we're doing this, yeah, Start share sending it with them us. to us. And then we can uh, kind of cull those together and maybe we'll pull some interesting records off of there and talk about those. Yeah. Um, do you have all of our, all of our social media stuff there? Uh, I, I, I can uh, probably roll it off the top of my head here. Okay, why don't you do that? Uh, if you want to check out our website, it's just audiojudo.com. Uh, email us, please, with uh, any, if you have insight, if you uh, are a band out there that wants to get in touch, maybe we'll do an interview with you. Uh, please feel free to email us. It's info at audiojudo.com. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash audiojudo. Uh, you can reach us there. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are at audiojudo. Uh, and that's that's uh, pretty much it. Is there anything I'm forgetting on that list? Our, uh, our GeoCities no, website so. is... Oh, yeah. No, Angel Fire. Our Angel Fire website. I don't think we have either of those. Uh, then no. I think okay, that's good. it. I think well, that's everything. Well, uh, keep listening. Like I said, get in touch with us, please. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Yep. Thanks, everybody. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.